going to be in Luke chapter 8. And I'm just going to warn you, and this is not cue for you to check out. I'm just going to warn you, uh, I got a lot I got to get through today. So I'm going to go fast. But do not mistake, do not mistake my speed for an effort to get this finished. My speed is, is born out of a passion that God has, I think, really put in me for this message this week. I am super excited about it. Maybe it's because I've, ha- I've, I've had the opportunity to listen to seven other sermons this week, and there's nothing like listening to seven other sermons to make a preacher want to get up and preach his own. And uh, that's what I'm going to be doing, but uh, I, I got a lot to get to, so it's going to be, as I, as I say, it's going to be all gas and no break this morning. So hope you're ready to hang on for the ride. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 8, continuing our series, Jesus for Everyone. And this morning we're going to see that while Jesus is for everyone, not everyone is ready or willing to hear the message that Jesus is bringing them. So just be ready for that. So Jesus is for everyone, but not everyone is ready for the word that Jesus is going to bring. So let me ask you a question just to kind of get us started and frame our time this morning. Do you find studying your Bible to be difficult? Do you find, what does your Bible study look like for you? Or do you not find it difficult because you really just don't do it? You never get around to opening your Bible and reading it and and seeing what is in there. How often do you read your Bible and how often do you read it and, and, and have some version of the thought, well, okay, I just read that, but I have no idea what that was about. I have no idea what that was about. I have no idea what to think. Uh, I have no idea how to apply that. That story was weird, and there's no way that has anything to do with me today. Uh, surely that passage doesn't mean what I think it meant, or some version of that when you study the Bible. And you're like, man, I just don't get this. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm here and I'm reading it, but it's just not there. It's not jiving with me. It's not clicking with me. It's not getting in my uh, head. Or let me ask this question to ask it a little bit differently. How consistently do you hear God's voice? Now, I would argue that the primary place that we hear uh, God's voice is through the Holy Spirit's application of Scripture into our, uh, into our heart. But I don't think that's the only way for us to hear from God, which is, whole nother sermon, but let's just, let's just leave it at that and just say, how often do you hear from God? Or how often do you feel like your prayers are prayers that you offer up, but somewhere in the, in the, in the midst of that, they never make it quite past the ceiling, right? They just kind of go up, but nothing ever comes down. You don't ever hear anything. You, you feel like your prayers go up. They never find a landing spot. Maybe you've gone through a hard or a difficult time and you felt like you wanted to hear from God and all you hear is a deafening silence. We read passages about how the Holy Spirit is supposed to be with us and in us And for the life of us, we just wish we could feel the leading of that spirit in our lives. Instead, we feel completely aimless, we feel completely directionless, and we feel like we hear nothing from God. What we feel is tired, frustrated, angry, depressed, anxious, distracted, and maybe just plain forgotten. So does any of that register with you in your study of the the, the Bible or in your experience with God? If it does then I think this message is going to help you a little bit. Now, if you don't pray and you don't study your Bible, then you may not have these same experiences. You may be like, well, I don't know. That doesn't ever really happen with me. But that's because I'm not spending a lot of time praying and I'm not spending a lot of time in Scripture. But I guess anyone in here that has spent any amount of time doing those two things has run into some of what I just described and what I talked about. That God may be there, but He's awfully quiet. And the Bible, while it is wonderful, his word can be a pretty difficult way to communicate it sometimes. And, and, and kind of leaves us thinking like, really God, this is how you've decided to communicate with us? A book that's this old with all of these old traditions and these old things that we can't quite figure out. Why does it have to be so difficult? Prayer and Bible study can at times leave us feeling a bit like maybe we're not doing it right. Or, like he's not there. Like he doesn't even exist. And we're just, 
We're just hoping beyond hope that the problem is that we are not doing it right. Not that he's actually not there. But it can be hard to figure out which of the two it is. What if I told you that all of that, everything that I just described, is perfectly normal to feel? And in fact, not only is it normal to feel, that it is part of what God uses to teach us about the message that he has for us. That yes, feeling like you've been left in the dark for a time period, feeling like you can't understand the scripture that you're reading, feeling like your prayers are not heard or not answered, are not just a normative experience for the Christian. They are in fact purposefully used by God in our walk. So we're in Luke 8, and Luke is giving us this new setting and this new setup. This is what we talked about last week for Jesus' teaching. Uh, last week we introduced the, the, the parables. This is what Luke does for us. He, he begins to, to say, all right, this is how Jesus taught. He used, uh, he used parables to kind of uh, help us. And so he gave us a parable last week, and he's going to give us another parable to sort through. And I'm just going to warn you up front, this is going to take a lot of work for us to get through this. Like We are going to do hard work to get through three verses. But I'll show you how this works here in just a second. Because here's what I want to do. I want to go back and I want to read everything that we looked at last week when we talked about the parables. I want to go back and I want to read everything that we looked at last week. Because the, the new parable Jesus is going to give us today feels and looks very different from the one that we looked at last week. But my contention is that they teach one unified lesson, and it's one we would do well to hear. In fact, that is the lesson that they teach, that we would do well to listen. In fact, I could title this sermon today, How to Listen to a Sermon. But since that feels a little self-serving, I'm not, uh, but I'm going to go with a different title, but I'll I'll, I'll hold that off for just a minute because I don't want to tip my hand too early in this sermon. So let's go back and let's read what we did yet last week. Just read the, the text and then we'll keep going to the new one. So Luke chapter 8 verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering and a people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out, into, went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. As it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns. And the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into the good soil and grew up and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what his parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed, of the, word is, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and times of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked up by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And as for the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. All right, so that's last week. The parable of the sower, the parable of the soils, whatever you want to call it. Now here's this week's parable. And let me, t- let, let me just listen to it as I read it. And you tell me if the two sound like they're, they're, they're saying the same thing. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar. This is verse 16. Uh, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known uh, and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. All right, here's what I love. My study process for this text, trying to figure out how, how to, to preach this text, uh, when, when I went through this, I could not figure out for the life of me what Jesus was saying in those three verses. I was so confused. But the great thing is that what Jesus is saying in these three verses is actually the process that I went through as I prepared this message, and I didn't know that I was going through it. I know it's super confusing, but we'll, I'll explain it as we go through this, all right? So Jesus gives this in-depth 
parable of the soils. It's great. It's simple. We have the explanation of the parable, which is super helpful. Really wish Jesus would give us one of those for each parable, uh, but he doesn't. He explains it for his disciples. Luke helpfully passes that along. The, the parable is very obviously about how the gospel takes root in the lives of various people. And last week I said that I felt like this was Jesus's way of helping his disciples process how some could see the same things that they did and what caused them to believe and walk away from everything they've ever known, the others could see that and they would just walk away and not care at all what they had to say. That's not all that Jesus is doing in this passage. He's also giving some warnings to those that are listening. I'll come back to that here in just a minute because that's part of the thread that's here. But when this next parable comes and... and I don't know about you, but when I read that, I felt like this parable about the light being put under a, a, a bed, being put under a jar, being hidden, has nothing to do with the soil, right? I felt like it has nothing to do with the soil, has nothing to do with the parable that we just read. Uh, in fact, the, the whole parable honestly made very little sense to me. I, I thought about including it in my sermon last week, but I was so confused by it, I punted on it and I said, that's not going to work. And as late as Friday morning this week, I was still trying to figure out, do I just need to go to the next passage for the, the, that we'll cover the next time that, uh, that we're all together? Uh, but, but that one's super confusing too. So I was like, ah, that doesn't help me at all. Uh, there's, it doesn't get any easier from here. So... What am I going to stand up there and say on Sunday? That was Friday morning where I was at because I was still so confused. I was not sure what this meant. Now, many commentators, even like my ESV study notes in my uh, study Bible, tell me that what Jesus is talking about in this passage is the final judgment. That when all our hidden sins will be brought forth for everyone to see. A lot of commentators think this, but it never quite sit right with me. Like, I, I just couldn't jive completely with that, and I'll explain why here in just a second. See, we have seen that Luke is a very good storyteller. He's a great storyteller, and, and, and that interpretation that this is about the final judgment when our sins are brought to light, uh, while no doubt is a biblical truth, doesn't quite seem to fit with the context here of what Luke is writing. And so I've wrestled and wrestled with this, this, this passage, and it, it just made no sense to me. Turn it over in my head, over and over, uh, wondering if the, 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 the sober warnings and the final judgment were kind of indeed the point that Jesus was trying to make here. And just meditating, thinking, praying, reading other scriptures that sound or feel like this text, checking with the other gospels to see if they uh, have this same parable in theirs, audibly listening to this. If you don't audibly listen to scripture, Sure, you, you should. Uh, it helps and can help you hear things in a different way. And constantly coming to this conclusion, I have no idea what this is about. So if that's you and your experience with Bible study, just understand this is a normal experience to get to this place, to spend weeks looking at three verses and get to the conclusion of, man, I don't know. Man, I just don't know what is going on here. So let's read it again, verse by verse, and I want to walk through with you why I was so confused. All right, so what I'm doing is I'm kind of, kind of peeling back the curtain a little bit to show you how my approach to this scripture was wrong, and then how God, the Spirit, just kind of corrected me as we go through this, all right? So, so I'm, I'm going to kind of take you inside my mind for a few minutes, so hang on, it's a wild ride. Uh, Luke 8, verse 16, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. So this is how my mind works whenever I read a passage in Scripture, especially a passage that I'm going to end up teaching. But honestly, just about any time, whether I'm going to be teaching it or not, I read it, and even as I'm reading it, I have other Bible verses like popping up in my head, right? Other Bible verses that sound or might feed into my understanding of that verse are popping into uh, my mind that, are, that I'm familiar with. So, so sometimes that's easy and you can make a connection pretty quick and be like, oh yeah, I, I get where this is going. I see the connections there. This is, this is great. 
And sometimes I'm asking, okay, okay, I hear what you're saying here, but what about this over here that sounds very different than what you said right here? And I got to work through those either seeming contradictions or at very least like different nuances of what teaching is happening there. And, and so that's all like going on in my head just as I begin and I read that first verse, all right? So that happens there. So the, the first thing that we notice in here is Jesus has just switched metaphors. In fact, He's going to preach with mixed metaphors. He does this all the time. Anybody who's going to teach how to to preach is going to say, don't mix your metaphors because you're just going to confuse your audience. But Jesus does it all the time. And I don't know if that's just because he's got all this like insight that he's able to kind of pull out for us or, or if he's just kind of reaching for different places to help us see the same truths or what it is. But he does this all the time and it kind of confuses a little bit. Here's, he's switched metaphors. So it's not unusual for Jesus to do this, but he, he's done this. And so trying to interpret one of the metaphors by going off of one of the other metaphors can leave you asking the question, wait, so is the light the seed or, is the, or do these two really have nothing to do with each other and they were nowhere close to each other? So that's the question that's going on uh, in my head, just trying to work through the new metaphor that is there. Um, in, in this case, I don't think the previous passage was meant to be one that's a direct comparison. Sometimes they, they are. He's, he uses several metaphors just to, one kind of builds on the other. But in this case, I think he's just, he's just switched metaphors. Just switched gears. Same point, though. So that threw me off to start with. Additionally, hiding our light doesn't seem to have anything to do with these four types of soils that we just read about, right? These four categories. It's like, what does hiding a light under a bed have to do with thorns and a soil and seed and it's like I don't man I don't know um elsewhere so so this is the other thing I start thinking about passages from from somewhere else elsewhere Jesus talks about letting our light shine before men right and so immediately that's where my first like thought goes oh this is probably what this is talking about this is talking about letting our light shine and he talks about putting it up on a lampstand so others can see so that's that's kind of how that works But whenever you actually read this verse in its full context, Jesus never makes that application at all. He does that elsewhere, but not right here. So if you're going to use this verse to talk about evangelism and letting your light shine before men, again, right biblical principle, wrong biblical text. So that's not what is happening. It just doesn't seem to be the angle that Jesus has here. So let's keep reading. Maybe if we keep going, there's something else that can kind of open things up for us. So verse 17. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Now, we seem to have another very quick potential application. It's not about being light to others. It's about a light being shown, but not to others. Instead, a spotlight being placed on ourselves uh, and being shown. Where is that light being shown? What is that light doing? It is revealing our hidden sins, except it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that this is exposing hidden sins. It doesn't say anything about exposing sin. It doesn't say anything about uh, about your, 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 your terrible deeds. There are other passages that say that. So heed that warning that there's nothing you can do that won't be brought to light in the sense of uh, a hidden sin that God won't see. But again, borrowing from other passages here about final judgment and sins and all that kind of stuff, right biblical principle, wrong biblical text. Lots of similar languages, language in other passages but Jesus never, never gets to that application. We fill in that application ourselves if we think that this text is about the final judgment. We're filling in blanks that Jesus never fills in. Verse 18. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has more, for the one who has, more will be given. And the one who has not, even what he thinks he has, will be taken away. Now this is just downright confusing. Because if you want to take the same language and go find other places that Jesus talks about this, he says the exact opposite. What he says is, those who don't have will be filled, and those who do have will go away empty. Right? This is what we saw in the Beatitudes in Luke chapter 5. What he says over and over and over is that the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And he's flipping things. But he doesn't do that here. In fact, what he says is if you have, you're going to have even more. And if you've got just a little bit, you're going to have even less. That doesn't sound like Jesus at all, does it? That doesn't sound like anything that we've ever read that Jesus has said. 
And so it's like, well, wait a minute. Did they just get this interpretation wrong? Or what is Jesus doing here? He's given us three different verses that all sound like other verses, but not quite. They're a little bit different. So maybe you see my confusion here. Why I'm trying to figure out how do I preach this passage when none of this seems to make sense. It's three disjointed verses that sound like other verses that don't actually teach what we think that they teach. I really didn't feel like I could do this justice. As I, as I, I had one professor say a, a thousand different times, a, a fog in the pulpit is a mist in the pew. If I don't understand it and I'm trying to teach it, I'm just going to confuse you guys way more. Like, it's difficult to work through this. So it wasn't until turning this passage over my head thousands, it, it felt like 10,000 times. People asked me, how long does it take you to prepare a message? How long does it take you to prepare a, a sermon? And, and my answer is two things. One, it depends. And two, I have no idea. Uh, because I never stop thinking about the next sermon. Never. Like it's always in there, always kind of moving around. And so how long does that take? I have uh, no idea. But as I work, walk through this thing, some things kind of finally started to click. And, and it's found in a couple of phrases that I had completely overlooked in my preaching and in my study because I saw them more as connectors and fillers than the actual uh, point. But, but these phrases in this one specific word is actually what connects all of it. It's the thread that runs through uh, all of this as, as we go through this. And I wonder if you see them. Two phrases, one word repeated over and over and over that I've said almost nothing about in either of these two sermons at this point. It's in verse 8, 10, 12, 13, 14, 15, and the kicker verse is 18. And if you're wondering, how do you read through all this and that one thread is in all of those verses and you miss it? I don't know. I'm not the smartest guy. But it's like... 8, 10, 12, 13, 14, 15, and the kicker verse is 18. Does anybody know what the word is? Just, th- just a little audience participation here. Hear. Hear. Or heard. Or hearing. That is the thread that connects all of this. That is the thread that connects all of this. Specifically the phrase, take care how you hear. I think verse 18 doesn't belong as a summary of verse 16 and 17. I think verse 18 serves as a summary of both the parable, uh, of both parables. So, so verse 18 is a summary of 4 through 17, okay? Not just 16 and 17. And the moral of the story, the purpose of the story, both of these stories that Jesus gives us, is take care how you hear. I love this so much, and my heart has been so encouraged by this over the last 48 hours. So now, let's see if we can dive in and see if we can kind of strip our minds away from all these other connectors that we automatically filled in as we were reading Scripture. And let's see if we can go back to the context and see if the context can lead us to the right So parable of the soils. Jesus is explaining his disciples that different people will hear the same message, be exposed to the same truth, yet respond in very different ways. He wants his disciples to understand how that happens, but he also wants wants anyone listening to hear what he has to say. And this is why he, 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 he says, if you have ears to hear, let him here. That's at the end of verse 8. Anyone who has, so that is a warning that he is offering. And he is saying at the end of that parable when he first offers it, if you've got ears to hear, listen to what I just said. This is one that Jesus uses as a warning in other places in Scripture. But here, it's not just a warning. It's actually like, it's not like a rhetorical phrase. It actually fits with exactly what he's trying to say. 
I think he's using it literally in the context of the parable. He's saying, you'd be wise to listen to what I have to say, lest you end up like one of those that heard the word and had it taken away by the heat, the birds, or choked away by the thorns. Don't be one of those. Hear my message today. And then he explains the parable, highlighting the hearing of the word by each of the four people represented in the parable. He explains they hear, but what happens after hearing is what separates each of the four different people in the category. So take care how you hear. Then he moves to the next metaphor and we get all confused, understandably so, because Jesus is using metaphors that he uses elsewhere to teach entirely different truths. But if we discipline ourselves here not to chase those rabbits, instead stick to the idea of hearing, then we'll see what he's saying. So let's now work back through 16, 17, and 18 again together with that context. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. The point here is not about letting our light shine, but instead extending the metaphor to hearing the word. The lighting of the lamp is what is done when we hear the word of God. When we read his word, when we pray, when the spirit speaks to us in our lives, a spark is lit, a flame ignited. The question is now, now what? Now what will you do now that this this spark has been, has, has been ignited. Now that the word has lit the flame, now that you have heard this word, now what will you do? In the previous parable, it was baked by the sun, snatched by the birds, choked by the thorns, before the, the final person uh, allows the word to take root and grow and produce a harvest. Now the word is the lit flame. And the question is, once the flame is lit inside of you, then what? Will you protect it and nurture that flame? Will you fan the flame? Will, it, will, you, will you help it to grow? Or, or will you do uh, or, and allow it to do what it's supposed to do on the, the lampstand? Or will you snuff it out? Will you hide it under a jar? Will you pretend it isn't there? We all know how this feels, don't we? The urging of the Spirit that we shove down, the call to give, the call to serve, the call to love, the call to kindness, the call to obedience that never quite seems to come at a time when you're particularly interested in being obedient, kind, or generous. And the question Jesus is asking, once you hear from God, then what? What kind of person will you be? Will the seed take root? Will the light of the word shown in your own heart? Will, will, you, will you allow it to shine and to expose the dark places? Or will you blow it out? we got a fire pit in our backyard that we like to light up on occasion and, and get it roaring, do s'mores and, and that kind of thing. Here's the thing. It's not super hard to get a fire started. In fact, there it is. I've got fire. So if you, if, if you see this, I've got the fire, the spark is lit, the flame is there. But you know that if you've ever tried to get a fire going somewhere, in a fireplace, in a fire pit, something like that, if you've just got like a single log sitting in the fire pit, and you go and you put that on the single, single log, you're going to have to hold this there for a long time before you're going to get a fire. In fact, there's a whole technique that we teach of how do you get a fire started. And like Isaiah has gotten super good at building these like, like, like perfectly engineered little teepees of wood that you can get set up. And if you can do that and you can get a little cardboard in there, get a little wind going and you light the cardboard, you can kind of get the fire going. But you kind of got to blow on it. You kind of got to nurture it. You got to keep it going. You got to really work at it to keep that going. But what's really great is, is not if you've just got a piece of cardboard, it's if you've got some fire starter. And if you've got a fire starter, you've got a log, and all you've got to do is light the end of like a piece of paper that then gets to the log. Within five minutes, you've got a roaring flame. It is going strong, right? And there's all kinds of other factors that can, that, can, that can weigh into that. Is the wood wet that you've got? Is the wind blowing? What all is going on there? So like whenever you light it outside, like you've got you've to protect the flame from the wind. And so you're, you know, you're 
you're trying to keep it going. You're trying to do this. You're doing everything you can to protect that flame and keep that flame going. And so you, you've got, you, you're, you're trying to protect the, the, the flame. We've got, like in the fire pit, we've got some like concrete blocks that are set up so that the air can get in there, but it's also protected from the wind that is blowing. All this in an effort to get the fire going. So my question is, what does that flame look like in your life? Does the fire get lit and just immediately the wind is blowing through and poof, it's out just like that? Does the lamp even get lit? If it does, what is your heart like? Is your heart just wet, damp wood that can seem impossible to get anything going? Or is it like the kiln-dried stuff that's ready to just immediately catch flame? Have you tendered your heart appropriately by putting in the fire starter so that, that, that all it takes is just the word of God, you hear it, and immediately you got a fire going. Like you're ready to hear God's word. It doesn't take anything extra. Just woof, you've got a fire, and it is ready to go. Is your heart ready to receive the word? This is where I would start with this parable. But then the question is, once the stove is lit, once the, the fire is lit, once the, uh, the fire pit is going and the fire is burning, then what? Will you hide it? This is Jesus' question. Will you put a cover over it? Will you snuff out the flame that is there? Will you put it out? Will you try to pretend it didn't happen, that you didn't hear it? Because when God leads us and begins to shape our hearts, it will never happen the way you want it to. And your heart will never be shaped the way you would have shaped it. Because you're not God. And so he will not reveal himself to you in the way that you would necessarily want him to and what he reveals and what it means for your life. You probably are going to be like, that's not what I had in mind. But that's how it works. Both the technique and the result will be very different than our own designs. So what will you do then? I think this is the question that Jesus is asking in this verse. When God speaks, will you listen? Don't be so quick to answer that question. Some of us are quick to answer that question, and then God's like, well, go to Nineveh. And you're like, yeah, it's not what I had in mind. I'll pretend I didn't hear that. I'll keep going here because I'm going to run out of time if I, I don't, but we could probably just stay right here. Um, but, but if you're asking the question, if you're at the place where you're like, no, my heart really is ready. If it's not, I swear I've done everything I can to prepare my heart. I've kept the wood dry. I've got the fire starter. I'm always lighting. The, like I'm always going to the place where the flame is lit, man. I'm doing everything I can, and it just doesn't seem to light. And I don't know what to do. My heart is ready, and I still can't seem to hear from him at all. Does that mean I'm doomed to be one of those people in that first parable that has the word snatched away? I really want to hear and apply, and I just cannot hear anything from God. Verse 17. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. Now, we have to adjust our immediate association to turn this to being about judgment. Again, biblical principle, not this text. Here's what I think is happening here. Nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, secret that will not come to life. Just a few verses before this, Jesus talks about how the purpose of the parables is to explain to those who will listen. But to confuse those that have no real intention of diving in and listening closely. Verse 10, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for the others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Super confusing. Jesus, do you not want people to understand what you're saying? Why would you make it confusing for them? I think that, that what Jesus is saying here is that things are hidden at times because they need to be revealed at the right time and in the right way. 
somehow in our family, and I'm not really sure how this has happened, Emily has developed the, the knack for sniffing out a gift that I get her. It is very frustrating. Like something comes across a credit card statement, like a little piece of it that I thought was hidden is there. And she's like, what's this? And she starts pulling on it. Oh, I probably wasn't supposed to see this. No, you weren't. Or she gets a phone call or something. It's always like random stuff. She doesn't even want to find the stuff, which makes it even more frustrating for me. It's not like she's being super nosy and she doesn't want to be surprised. She's like, surprise me. And I'm like, I'm trying. Quit finding the stuff. But she's developed this knack to be able to do this. And so whenever that happens, you know, she's not able to receive the, 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 the gift in the way that I intended for it to be given. I have to work all the harder at keeping it hidden uh, so that she will receive it at the right time and appreciate it in the right way. Same for our kids. We love to give them gifts at Christmas and for their birthdays. We'll probably start buying those gifts in the next month or so and then we'll slowly begin to accumulate in our house and we'll run out of places to hide them but the the goal is not just to give them what they want when they want it right the goal is to build the anticipation to the moment when the gift is revealed to create the expectation that we aren't just dispensers of stuff for whatever they want but instead we are good gift givers We are good gift givers to them and we give those gifts at certain times because we want to make sure that their hearts have built in anticipation to be ready for those gifts, to get something from us. And so we use the times of Christmas and birthdays as parties, as celebrations, as feasts to to maximize the moment of celebration and the holiday. Birthdays and Christmas are occasions for feasting in part because it is a celebration of what we have received. I think Jesus is telling us here that there will come a time when God will reveal to us the things that we need. That the word works much like those gifts. It's not just sitting on a shelf waiting for you to come get it whenever you want it. It's not just out there saying, all is free, come and take it. You can have revelation from God in any way you choose, in any time you choose, at just the right moment when you think you need it. This is God saying, I will choose when I will speak, how I will speak, and you need to be ready to listen at that moment. And when you receive, it is a moment of feasting and celebration. I think this is what he means when he says there is a time when it will be revealed, when it will be made manifest, when you will hear what you need to hear. Our task is to be sure that our hearts are ready to receive. Our task is to prepare the soil so that when the sower comes by, we are ready. We are not passive in the type of soil that we are. We till our hearts. We clear the thorns. We make sure that the seed finds its mark. And when it does, as it says back in verse 15, with patience, the harvest will come. Using this imagery of flame and revelation, I think Paul does so well to explain this to us at the beginning of 2 Timothy. You can turn there if you want. It should come up on the screen. I'm going to read this. Kind of long, but I just want you to hear those two themes, flame and revelation. He writes to Timothy, he says, I remember your tears and I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, of love, and self-control. Fan that into flame. You have received the spark, Timothy. Fan it into flame and turn it into a roaring fire. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, the word that goes out about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifest, revealed to us 
through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So good. Fan the flame and the spark that you have. And in doing so, you will do well to take hold of a spirit of power. And now that it has been made manifest, made manifest to us, what has been made manifest, what has been revealed to us in its own time, Christ Jesus and the gospel. The good news. Such a beautiful picture for us. Back in Luke 8.18, take care then how you hear. This is the summary of both parables. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Jesus is not talking about your possessions here. He's talking about the word. He's talking about his own revelation and speaking to your heart. He's saying that if you will seek his word and you will seek his spirit, if you do it, you will find it. And the more you do it and the harder you seek him, the more you will find. But those that hide the flame, those that don't till their hearts and prepare the soil, they'll find that they'll hear the voice of God less and less Unless, until that still, small voice just fades away. Listen to these verses, how it is said in these different verses. I'm going to just rapid fire go through these. Hebrews eleven six, And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. 1 Chronicles 28, 9. And you, Solomon, my son, this is David imparting wisdom to his son. Know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. 2 Chronicles 15, 2, And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Proverbs eight seventeen: I love those who love me, and those who seek diligent, diligently find me. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Isaiah 55, 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. This is not the message that God helps those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible. But if we believe that he exists, then we must Know that God is a good God and he will reward those who show up to church. No. He will reward those who read the Bible every now and then. Nope. He will reward those who pray, especially when they need something. Nope. He will reward those who diligently seek him. That's the point in these parables. Be careful how you hear because you will determine your ability to hear and apply that word. In my preparation for this sermon, I could not find the meaning of this text without constant pursuit of its meaning and its application. If I had given up after just a couple of readings of this text, I never would have been able to mine this or pull it out without the constant turning over of the verses and in prayer. There is no substitute in in Bible study, in teaching, or in your own life. There is no substitute to hear from God outside of a deep, continual wrestling with the Word. Graciously, there are some things that God reveals to us plainly that, that require little to no effort. Paul says this in Romans 1. He says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. There are some things God graciously gives us, and it requires no effort besides for us to walk outside and say, Wow, who made this? 
But there are many truths that are only revealed after a constant, diligent, lifelong pursuit of God. There is no replacement for a long obedience in the same direction. There are certain ways that we come to know God that only reveal themselves in the furnace of affliction. Do not begrudge this and hide that light, but let that light shine in your hearts into all the dark places, till the soil of your heart, so that when God reveals to you these truths, after much pursuit, much toil and struggle, they are not wasted, but they take root in your heart and they are valued the way that they should be. I think about these students that I saw this week, and I think about you know, what I would love to be able to tell our students, those, those, those students that were there with us and the thousands that were there in that room. I would love to be able to tell those students as they walk out of that room, man, I have no idea, and this is what I would tell you too, I have no idea what this week holds for you. I have no idea what the rest of, of high school or, or what comes after high school or your, your family life for the next few years, the next decade, the next 50 years. I have no idea what it holds for you. But if you seek God, you will find Him. If you pursue Him in His Word, you will hear from Him. If you do not begrudge the suffering, but instead you listen as you go through it, you will hear Him. If you do not get lost in the silence along the way, you will treasure the truth more deeply than anything else you have ever known if you will listen. You will find him. But if you do not seek him diligently, you will find that six months from now, a year from now, two years from now, you just don't hear that voice as much as you used to. Ten years from now, you haven't picked up your Bible in five years. And you wonder why you just can't figure out how to make it in life. You don't have direction or purpose. Standing there in that room with those students, watching our students worship and watching so many come to Christ watching so many make commitments and rededications of their lives to be able to say, man, I thought that I was ready to pursue God, but I wasn't pursuing Him the way that I want. It just took me back to that time, my own time at these camps and student life and, uh, and, 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 and passion and college and these times where it felt like every time I opened the Word, every time I heard a sermon, every time I sang a song, it just felt like I heard God's voice so clearly and it moved me so deeply. And then I think through all those times over the last 25 years that, that I've opened the Word and I've felt nothing. And I've sang songs and they're just words. And I've longed to hear the leading of God the way that I heard it at that time in my life so clearly, so powerfully that caused me to change everything about the direction that I was going in life. And I am absolutely convinced that what has changed is not God, but instead my diligence. I meant, I meant to bring a Bible in here, and I totally forgot to do it, but I meant to get a Bible. It's on my shelf in my office. It's the first Bible I got after I became a Christian. First thing I did is I, is I began reading in Matthew. I figure Old Testament's confusing. New Testament, let's give it a shot. We'll start at the beginning with Matthew. Started working my way through Matthew and, and like started highlighting stuff. I think the entire book of Matthew is highlighted. Because like everything I read just gave me insights into my heart, into the nature of God. The rest of the New Testament's not. Why? It's not because the rest of the New Testament isn't as powerful as the book of Matthew. It's because I just didn't keep studying diligently. There will be times that you will pursue God diligently and you will hear nothing. Be encouraged by this verse. Everything will be revealed in its time. He will not stop speaking if you will keep listening. Third 
final thing I want to read is from Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. If your heart is rocky, if it's choked by thorns, if it's exposed to the sunlight and the heat. But exhort one another every day. This is our task to one another. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So what this is saying is your task as a church member, as a Christian, is to exhort one another not to be one of the three types of soil. But to be the one type of soil that received the message. As long as it's called today. It's today. None of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, if we are diligent, as it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Hear the warning. If you have ears to hear, listen. Do not harden your voice this morning. Because if you seek him, you will find him. But if you turn your back to him, and you cover up the lamp of the word, you'll find you don't hear much anymore. And that is God's judgment upon us. Do not be that person. Respond to the voice of God. Whatever he's calling you to do. Is he calling you to step out on faith and follow him for the first time? Do not just assume you'll be able to do that at any point. Because at some point, he might stop calling you. Do do not assume you've got all the time in the world to figure out how to be obedient to him. Respond in obedience now. Whatever that looks like. Don't assume because you hear the voice of God today, you will hear it tomorrow. But seek Him, listen, and write the truth that He gives you on your heart. Let's pray. Father, thank You that You have not let us flounder without hearing from You. Thank you for the truths that you make obvious that are right there in front of us that we can respond to. And thank you for the truths that you call us to mine out of the muck and the mire of the brokenness of this world and the hard, diligent study of your word. May we be faithful disciples to continue to listen. And may we not put the lamp of the word under a jar, and may we not let our hearts be choked away by the thorns of this world. Father, give us ears to hear. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.